morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, He is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and His name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and He lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, the only begotten one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep intimate and personal relationship with him. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, who is the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God. He interferes with your chance to know God. God's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God, which is designed to make you believe that you have to work to please God. And it works. The Word of God is truth, though, and it keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. Well, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? I don't believe you heard me. <laughs> so I'm going to ask it again. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Well, in today's lesson, the Apostle Paul concludes his argument against idol meat with some sound advice for mature Christians. And I hope the answer that you gave to that question is yes that there would be enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian. Uh, this morning, just before I left, and one of the reasons I was a little later than I normally am is I was checking a Facebook post, and it, the post said, um, if you keep sinning and you honestly believe that once saved, always saved, you're absolutely wrong about it. And so I was checking the strand, and there were a bunch of people that I knew from Grace Bible Church agreeing wholeheartedly with that assessment. Now, that's the most ridiculous thing that a Christian could ever say in their lives, that they could lose their salvation. Why? Because they didn't do their salvation. Who did their salvation? The Lord Jesus Christ did their salvation. What did he do? God the Holy Spirit, the moment of your salvation, the moment you believed in Christ, placed you into union with Christ. And all throughout the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We believers are in Christ. What does that mean? We're in a relationship with Him, and we can't get out. Why? Because you didn't do the relationship. He did the relationship, and He does not ever change His mind. John 10, 28, I give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I wouldn't even want to worship a God who you believe in him, but when you make a mistake, then all of a sudden he's going to turn his back on you. That's not God-like. That's human beings. That's what human beings do. 
That is not what God does. He never turns his back, not even on unbelievers. He went to the cross for unbelievers too. He paid for all their sins too. So these are people who have been studying the doctrine for 30 years and nothing's getting through to them. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing can separate from us from the unconditional love of God which comes through being in union with Christ Jesus. What does nothing mean? Nada. Nothing. Nothing. Not even what you do. Oh. Yes. Well, pastor, what if I went out and shot 5,000 people? Would I still go to heaven? Yes, but you're also going to jail. And it's not going to be fun. And why would you do that anyway? I don't know. I don't get it, but what do I know? All right, well, let's hear some music. As believers in Christ, we have a glorious future ahead, which is too indescribable to put into words. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, believers in Christ, prepare your minds for action. Keep on being sober in spirit, which means have self-control. Keep on fixing your hope completely on the grace of God to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, in his song, Danny Gokey describes the Apostle Peter's sentiment as the hope in front of me. Let's listen. Trying to make it on faith in a struggle against the wind I've seen the dark in the broken places oh, But I know in my soul no matter how bad it gets I'll be alright There's a
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for allowing us to experience sin so that we can contrast it with your righteousness. Father, thank you for the guidance of God the Holy Spirit who directs our paths toward conformity with your Son. Thank you for providing us for us in ways that we don't even recognize. Help us to understand and to embrace the responsibilities of maturity and to pass the lessons on to everyone we meet. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Well, welcome to our guests. It usually takes about eight lessons to get comfortable, so if you're uncomfortable during the lesson, that's pretty much normal. The first step of learning is discomfort. And uh, the way we structure our lessons is in the beginning, we talk about who Jesus Christ is. Then in the middle, we talk about a Bible passage verse for verse. And then in the end, we give the gospel message. So we're really glad to have you here. You're welcome. You're welcome to anything we have. All right, today's Bible lesson, God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. And so to put a a period on the Facebook thing, my response was, anybody who thinks that you can lose your salvation has never studied the book of Romans, which is the foundational book of biblical Christianity. And if you haven't studied that, you'll miss Christianity. And the other thing is, anybody who thinks they can lose their salvation has no idea what unconditional love is. And that's what God has for every one of his creatures. And that's that. And so I don't know why anybody would want to be ill in an advanced state, having been a Christian, and then be scratching their heads wondering whether God was going to take them to heaven if they died. I don't, I don't understand why we would want to do that. But the thing that always is the litmus test for anything human beings say is this. Where does it say that in the Bible? Show me in the Bible where it says that you can lose your salvation. It doesn't. And what people always do is they'll go to James, who was talking to the Jews, and they were believing Jews, and they'll miss that part. And then they'll talk, well, faith without works is dead. Yeah, okay. All right. You've got to get your head in the Bible to get your head around this. All right, so today's Bible lesson, God's guidance helps us to avoid mistakes. Now, the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and we've been studying it forever. <laughs> I think about 10 lessons. And it's three chapters on a single subject, idle meat. Now, we know that we don't care much about idle meat. If you travel internationally, you'd have a big concern about idle meat, but we don't have a big concern about idol meat, but there's another lesson in here for us. Uh, For us, the lessons have drawn our attention to idols and idolatry, and we absolutely have idols and idolatry. I was thinking about it in the shower this morning. What are some of the examples of idols and idolatry? If you ever go to get a manicure, and you'll go in, and you'll see a little cat in the manicure place, and the cat's arm is going like that. Have you ever seen that little cat, little smiling cat? Well, have you ever seen Buddhist temples in the manicure and pedicure places? Yeah, so there's a lot of worship of idols and idolatry. Buddha is an idol, and there are people who worship him today. And that little happy cat, why do you have a little happy cat? Well, he brings customers, and that's idolatry. 
right? And it's an idol and idolatry and does not bring any customers. The, you give good manicures and pedicures, you're going to get customers. And if you don't, you're going to have a problem. So what are the idols in your life? That's the question I asked you to ask yourself. I asked you to write it down. I asked you to write examples of it. What are the idols in your life? Do you idolize your family? Do you idolize your electronic devices? What are the things that you idolize? Because we all have them. Where in your life are you engaging in idolatry? So today, we'll conclude our study of this passage. Everybody say, yay. yay. Yeah, so we'll go on to <laughs> finally get off the idol meat. And, you know, being on a weight loss program like I am, it always makes me hungry. It's driving me crazy. All right, so in one of the underlying messages of the passage, the Apostle Paul has been asking us believers in Christ to ask ourselves a few serious questions. So here are some of the questions for reflection. Is anything I'm doing causing another believer in Christ to stumble? Because that's what's at the base of this passage. Am I doing things that would influence unbelievers to reject the gospel message? Does my conduct take others into account first? Them first, then you, which is the definition of a win-win relationship. Would my actions in any matter be approved by God? That's a great question to use to check yourself. And then finally, would my conduct be regarded so highly by others that they would be drawn to inquire about Christ? Well, these are the things to which Christians must hold themselves to account. To ask ourselves these questions is not a cause for self-condemnation. When you find out that you aren't doing something that's in line with one of those questions, and you start pulling out the rubber hose, and you get ready to beat yourself with it, just go check Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. We don't beat ourselves up about our inadequacies. Because God the Holy Spirit is changing us. He is the chief executive officer of sanctification, which is that period of time between salvation and eternity. And he is going to change you. And if you expose yourself to the word of God long enough, you will see yourself changing. And what you'll see changing is your thinking. What you'll see is you don't want to handle situations the way you handled them in the past. As a person... As a man of 30 years old in a relationship with a woman, I always wanted to fight. And the, the, we should vent, right? Now, I am Rodney King, right? Why can't we just get along? I don't want to fight because there's nothing good that ever comes out of it. The two become one flesh, and then you sit there and you berate the other person. You're berating yourself. I don't want to do that. That doesn't make any sense to me to argue with other people or to criticize other people. It just doesn't. And so that's, but that's not something that I wanted to do. I actually am good at fighting and I like fighting. And I'm quite, quite good at jostling verbally. So the Holy Spirit made that change in me and I fully accept the change. So let's take a look. There, there are things... In, in those questions for reflection, that Christians should hold themselves to account. And we ask ourselves these questions not for self-condemnation. It's a request 
to follow the narrow road that leads to the resurrection life. We have the resurrection life as believers in Christ. We have eternal life. That is not a future event. That was a moment of salvation event. And so now the next thing is follow it. Grow by means of grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verses, verse 23, through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And you'll notice that it goes through chapter 11, verse 1. In the original languages, there was no chapter break. So, you know, we separated into chapters, but this chapter 10 actually ends at verse 1 of chapter 11. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says this, All things are permissible. And what's meant here is for those who have freedom. But not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible for those who have freedom, but not all things edify the body. And that doesn't just mean your physical body, but it means the body of Christ. So the Corinthians had a problem. They were into knowledge. They were right by Greece. And the Greeks were the philosophers of the day. And the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written. And so they were into knowledge. And Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And that's where everybody went to party and to do all the things that they wanted to do that they didn't want anybody to know about. And then they would get all into knowledge. Well, Solomon taught us a lot about knowledge. Knowledge isn't it. All right? So they had freedom. And often, they thought that knowledge gave them license to do anything they pleased. And a lot of people who have freedom do that. You know, I tell you the story all the time about what happened to two young men who were raised in a, in a Christian home, who were taught the Bible from the time that they were two years old. And as soon as they, they got unleashed to college, in three months, forgot everything they learned in the last 18 years. Amen? Those are my sons. And that's what happens. As soon as, as freedom occurs, then license occurs, and we forget all about the key thing with freedom, which is responsibility. So they were into knowledge. They had freedom, but they thought that the knowledge gave them license to do anything they want, as if there would be no consequences, and of course they always are. And Paul didn't agree with them, so he gave them a command in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, he said, Let no one seek his own advantage. Instead, seek the advantage of your neighbor. Very simple idea. Put others first, then you. The Lord put it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 to 39. He said, One of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him. And what he was doing was seeking to trap him as lawyers are prone to do. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the Mosaic law? Ne never mind that the lawyer was talking to the sovereign God of the universe. And never mind that the lawyer was talking to the guy who wrote the Mosaic law. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus, the sovereign God of the universe, and the guy who wrote the Mosaic law said to the lawyer, the great commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight. The greatest. this is the greatest and foremost commandment. 
And then he said in Matthew 22:39, the second greatest commandment is just like it. You shall love your neighbor unconditionally, just as you love yourself unconditionally. And by the way, loving yourself unconditionally is a great thing to do before you love your neighbor unconditionally. And we consider that in Satan's kingdom, that's considered selfish, to love yourself. We like this dirt-kicking crap. Why, what do you like about Patrick Mahomes? Well, I like him because he's humble, you know? He got a $500 million extension this year, and he's all shucks, gosh, humble. Well, he's from Kansas. He's over in Kansas, right? Everybody who's over from over in Kansas is humble. Oh, shucks. That is not my reaction if you give me $500 million. I am not all shucking that. I ain't going to party. I don't to tell everybody. I can't, can't wait to tell everybody. That's an amazing thing, an amazing accomplishment. So loving yourself unconditionally is not selfish. It becomes selfish when you forget to love your neighbor as well. Those two things are simultaneous. Those two things are Siamese twins. And then we throw in the, the, our, our same love toward God, and we have the whole package that God wants us to have. So... In other words, anything that hurts a brother of ours is unlawful. It was so funny last weekend at the, at the homecoming, John Miller just made it a point to always consider whether he was bringing food into my experience or into my presence that would tempt me to break my, my health regimen. And I, and I thought it was really nice. I, I have a lot more uh, discipline than that, but I thought it was really nice. And I, I didn't know how he expected to pull it off because we have this table and there's everything that I want to eat spread out all over the table. We got June sitting over on my couch not only eating it, but putting barbecue sauce on it because she thought it was manna. And then me watching her so that she doesn't put... <laughs> her hands on my couch with the barbecue sauce on it. So, I, you know, it was, but it was really nice of John. And I think he was using what we're learning in 1 Corinthians. Don't do things to make a brother stumble. And it was an application. Now, the one thing he didn't do, he was drinking beer in front of me. I do want a beer. I haven't had a beer for uh, a month and a half, but that's another story. Anyway, another way to say this the things that are being communicated in the last two verses is we're not to be competitive with each other. Yeah, in sports, but not in relationships. Relationships are cooperative. They're not competitive. And we are to win in everything we do. As believers in Christ, we have the victory, but not at somebody else's expense. And so think about it when you go shopping and you want to bargain with the other side and you want them to lower the price. Well, how does that help them? But is there a way for both of you to get what you want? They get the price they want, and you get everything you want. There always is. It's called negotiating. And it's the opposite of bargaining. So, you know, we don't want to hurt people. And this includes our conduct toward believers in Christ as well as our conduct toward unbelievers. How often do you think about the things that you do which may be detrimental to others? There are people who go through divorce. And when they're going through a divorce, their whole mindset is, I want to hurt you on the way out. Why? Why? If you've decided that your marriage is no longer viable, why do you want to hurt the person on the way out? Do you think you're going to be successful at it? And that's especially funny to me with two Christians. 
where both Christians are protected by the sovereign God of the universe, do you honestly believe he's going to let that happen? He's not going to. So there are things we have to get straight in our mind. And when we start looking at things from God's perspective, and he would never consider doing that. When he was on the way to the cross, they put a bag over his head and a guy punched him. And he said, hey, prophet, prophesy who hit you. He went to the cross to die for that guy. Would you do that? I don't, know, I, I don't know that I would. I'd have taken that bag off and we'd add it out. So it, it's just, this is what being a Christian is all about. It's living to a set of standards that God sets and not stooping to the standards that we want to stoop to as human beings. So as Paul makes his conclusion for these three chapters on idol meat, the previous two verses strike a death blow to paganism. Because the major difference between paganism and Christianity is really simple. Self-focus versus other focus. It's like the difference between night and day. It's like the difference between the colors, white and black. It's the difference between light and darkness. The two items in each instance have nothing in common. Well, in Christianity, we seek what is good for others, and we do things of which God would be proud. These thoughts were foreign to first century Corinthians because they had a bunch of believers who were formerly pagan worshipers who became believers in Christ, and they were immature in their spiritual development. Immature meaning new to it. They hadn't learned enough. So the me-first court culture of Corinth, as I said, the Las Vegas of the first century, did not think like this at all. And the church members were influenced to think that way too. And that's what happens when people come into a new environment. What do they do when they come into a new environment? They try to dumb down the environment to what they're comfortable with, as opposed to stepping up to the demands of the new environment. You know, I saw that a lot in basketball. You know, in college basketball, I was on a college basketball team. All of the players had scrapbooks. But what do they want to do? They wanted to dumb the team down to make them the star when there are other people on the team who had scrapbooks too who are way better. No, you have to step up. And that's what God gives us. That's what he means by grow. He's always asking us to step up. He's always asking us to step up. And it means change. And what it means is changing our mentality. And it's critical to change your mentality. there, There are some thoughts that we hold as people that... We learned when we were in kindergarten, you, you always hear people say, I wasn't raised that way. Okay, you, maybe you weren't raised that way, but that was when you were 12. All right, now you're 40. You've had 28 extra years of experience. Did you learn anything in the 28 years that might be helpful? Were your parents wrong about anything? My mom was one of the most well-intentioned women in the whole world. I, I adore her. She raised four kids by herself on 14 grand a year. That's amazing. But a lot of the stuff she told me, she was just wrong about it, right? She told me, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. She worked hard, and she never got ahead. And what I found is when you work hard, you get tired. You've got to work smart. So you've always got to be shifting your mindset and and learning new things and discarding old things simultaneously. And that's what we are reluctant to do as adults a lot of times. So 
What actions control the Christian mindset? The actions of Christ, who is the epitome of the other's first mentality. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28 say this, But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, to say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, but I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say, uh, and, wait a minute, change, bless, <laughs> bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. How often do you do that? And let's just start in your family. All of us as families have that person in the family, right? How often do we pray for that person? Uh, what? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's my guy right there. Right? I, I got to pray for him. That's right, Deacon Denny. <laughs> That's beautiful. Look, pagans don't think like that, but Christians do. And a lot of times, we don't want to pray for our enemies, even as Christians. But the Holy Spirit influences us to do that. And when we listen, it's amazing. Next, Paul gives instructions on how a Christian is to handle the issue of idol meat without becoming antisocial. So Paul gives another command in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25. He says, eat anything that is sold in the public meat market without asking questions about its history, so as not to burden your conscience. So Paul does not want us to turn into legalists. Paul does not want us to become self-righteous, because you can get quite self-righteous when you're doing something that other people aren't. Well, isn't it too bad that you guys haven't lost 42 pounds in less than a year, huh? Oh, look at that. What is that, Red Bull that you're drinking there? That stuff's got more poison in it than you could ever imagine. You know, people who, who do things that are really cool get insufferable with that. And that's not how God wants us to operate. And so the Lord doesn't want to turn us into meat inspectors. So what he's saying is, look, in a public forum, don't ask. We already know that there's no such thing as an idol, and we know that there's no such thing as, uh, uh, I don't know what the other thing is, but there's no such thing as an idol, so don't worry about idol meat. Don't worry about it. In a public forum. God doesn't share the world with idols. That's what we know. That's the other thing. We know that there is only one God, and there is no such thing as idols. So he's the ruler of the universe and all that's in it. Everything and everyone is in submission to them, whether they acknowledge it or not. We are to eat what the Lord has provided, but we are not to mix Christianity with paganism by sanctioning pagan practices through our decision. And that's what we like doing a lot as people. The Lord gives us everything with God is one. He is not confusing in any way. He is black and white. He is not gray. He is, this is it, and everything else is not. So, here are the standards he wants us to live up to. We don't like that. We want Christianity to be, Christianity to be like our iPhone. We want to customize it to ourselves. That's not how it works. When he says, this is what I want you to do, and this is not, that's what we're to do. And so we get in trouble as Christians when we start mixing things in. And so here he's saying, here are some clear guidelines, very, very 
strict guidelines that will help you think properly. If you're in the public forum, don't ask whether it's idle me. It probably isn't anyway, but don't ask. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, 26. The earth is the Lord's possession, and all it contains is his. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Now, second situation. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dine, come to my house and eat, and you want to go, go and eat everything set before you without asking questions so as not to burden your conscience. Now look, it's hard to live in Satan's kingdom, planet Earth, and not be swept up in its practices. Satan lives to entangle Christians in his schemes. And it's not, if, if not for the previous verse, many Christians would be forced not to eat with family members who are unbelievers. Christians are not to appear religious and are not to appear exclusive when they dine with unbelievers. I have a friend that I hadn't seen in 35 years and we were playing golf recently. And like I said, I'm on this, this weight loss program and he had this, he's, he's, he's got a boy-like charm to him. Even, he's 66 years old and he still has this boy-like charm that he always had. And he said, I live on the ninth hole and when we get over there, I've got a cooler and we're gonna run into the house and we're gonna fill it up with beer. And I say, well, Kevin, I'm sorry, I'm not drinking beer right now. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, yes, let's fill it up. I'm not drinking beer right now. I'm in a weight loss. And you can just see him just, <laughs> he was so disappointed. He said, well, do you like sparkling water? I said, I brought my own water. Yes, I have Fiji water. I only drink Fiji water. <laughs> I felt like such a schmuck. The poor guy. He's just being, he's just having hospitality, and I, I just blew it for him. But that's, you know, we're not to be that way. You know, now I, I'm not going to violate the program I'm on because I got on it for a specific reason, but we're not to lord that stuff over people. You know, if you're doing something great, do that great thing, but don't let it hurt your brother. That's the key. 1 Corinthians 10, 28. But if anyone says to you, and someone may, that's a... First class condition, if in the Greek. This meat, sacri- is, is, this is meat sacrificed to idols. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and so as not to burden the conscience. Okay, what does that mean? All right, so if you're in the marketplace, don't ask. If you're at an unbeliever's house, don't ask. But if somebody announces to you that it's idol meat, we don't condone pagan practices. So the answer is no. Example, I go to, uh, I was on, it wasn't my honeymoon, but it was shortly after. I had been married about a year and a half, two years or something. We went to Jamaica. And we just thought it might be a cool thing to go to a psychic, right? So Christians don't condone pagan practices. So here I was, I had a psychic, right? And when you're at a psychic, you are consorting with demons, all right? So she takes my hand and she looks at it and she says, she's giving me the eye and she says, you're going to have two loves in your life. Okay, now wait a second. Why would you say that in front of my wife? So I'm trying to figure, oh, it's God and my wife. Right? That's not what it was really. It was sugar and Michelin three-star meals. Those are the two loves of my life. See? So I said, okay, well, you're okay. But here's the whole thing. 
You know, it's so funny how the Word of God never gets into you quite as deep, as deeply as when you go to a psychic. The things they say to you just get into you. Stay away from it. Don't go check your horoscope. My mom was a horoscope junkie. She had every book on horoscopes known to mankind. I've read them all. Stay away from that stuff. Here's your horoscope book. Here's your psychic. The Bible. 66 books. You're responsible for 27 of them. It's not hard. Get this into here. And you'll be really good shape. You don't need a psychic. So we don't condone pagan practices. And we don't willingly engage in pagan practices. If idols are nothing and pagan gods are nothing, and that's what we know to be true, and we've learned that idols and pagan gods do not exist, then let's not make them something by consorting with those things. Amen? Amen. All right. And there's a lot of peer pressure to do it. You know, you want to tell somebody you're on a, a weight loss program, and the first thing everybody wants to do is offer you everything decadent. Well, you mean you can't eat Bosa donuts? Knowing that I adore Bosa donuts. Why are you going to say that to me? You know, oh, that's too bad you can't have some of these chips over here. I agree it is. I want to eat the whole bucket of those chips over there. And then, of course, my dear friend, Denise, bring cinnamon rolls last week with the sugar dripping off the cinnamon roll. And they were really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's really okay. I, you know, I have a little doll at home that looks just like you, and when I get home, I just be doing that. It's, it's perfectly okay. <laughs> no, that, the cinnamon rolls thing, it was rough, believe me. 1 Corinthians 10.29. 1029, by conscience, in the previous verse, verse 28, I don't mean your conscience in this case, but the other man's conscience. Why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake thankfully when I eat in these situations, why am I being slandered for doing what I receive with thankfulness? Well, we know why we're being slandered. We're being slandered because every time you're trying to do the right thing in Satan's kingdom, you're going to be slandered about it. That's why. Well, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll hear Paul's final instructions to the mature. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody we're All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus when Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is 
Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm just a nobody
back. Today's Bible lesson, God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. Well, in a parable unique to the Gospel of Mark, the Lord says in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, and Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seeds upon the soil. And then he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How it grows, the man himself does not know. So it is with your contributions to Barah Ministries. You cast your contributions, you go to sleep, and those contributions are used to provide the gospel message all over the world. So keep on being generous, just as the Lord is generous to you. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We are real people who come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And last week I really enjoyed our, our conference. I loved learning about God. I loved learning about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But I especially focused on the story of the prodigal son because it's just such an amazing story. You know, for, I don't know that everybody knows the story, but it's probably a wealthy landowner, business owner, has his, his lascivious son come to him and ask for his inheritance ahead of the, the father dying. And the father agrees to it, gives him his half of his money and sends him on his way. And the kid goes about losing all his inheritances and basically running it into the ground and is eating, is basically living with pigs, which for a Jewish person was sacrilegious at the time. He would never do it. But when he went home, his father ran out to welcome him. You know, killed the fatted calf, had a huge party, gave him the ring to show that he was back and could, could run the purse strings. And it's just an amazing story because here he had this son who was doing everything right, the the legalistic son was doing everything right and staying with him. And then he had the lascivious son who went out and did everything wrong, but he welcomed him back. And that's, that's such an amazing thing. It really is what we should be as a ministry. It's what we should be just as Christians. It's just welcoming. And it made, made me think of the verse in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. <clears throat> there is neither Jew nor Greek, no racial distinction. There is neither slave nor free man, no social distinction. There is neither male or f- nor female. No gender distinction, for you are all one who are in union with Christ Jesus. So Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Therefore, keep on accepting one another and keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also kept on accepting us in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. So that's what the Father was doing. He was just accepting him. He wasn't saying, oh, you are the bad kid. I don't want you back. You know, and that's what we should do as a church. We just let everybody in. That's what our churches would do. And I was thinking, you know, you ever get on, on the 60 on, or the, any freeway, I guess, entry ramp, and the traffic gets bunched up and you're trying to get in and nobody lets you in? What are you supposed to do? You can't hit your brakes. You're going to hit people behind you. You can't speed up. Why don't people just let you in? You know what I mean? That, that's how traffic should be, right? <laughs> that, that's what, that's what the, 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 son, the father was like. He just let him in. You know? Or how about the Humane Society? What if they're like, no, no, not that dog, but this dog? You know, they take all the dogs. They don't care, big, small, mangy, dirty, clean, whatever. They take them all. And, you know, it's, it's just like Jesus. He's the one guy that could stand there and hold behind mighty and judge all of us because he never sinned. But he doesn't. He's not here to judge us. 
you know. And so we as Christians, what are we supposed to do? Say, oh, I, I know so much more than you. You can't come in here, you know. And that's, that's, what, that's what Jesus is like. Jesus is the most welcoming person on the planet. Whosoever believes in him. And that's how we should be. That's how, that's how I imagine the Father being is whosoever. Whosoever comes, I will, I will, bring, I will bring you in. And it's, it's interesting because Pastor welcomed us all into his home. And that's just like the prodigal son. That's like the father. He welcomed, welcomed all us mangy brethren, his mangy believers, into his house and eating food, <laughs> eating barbecue when he couldn't eat it. <laughs> that was rough. He lets his son come into his house and steal toilet paper during, during, the, during the 2020 toilet paper crisis. You know, that's a, that's a, true, that's a true welcoming father right there. But, you know, um, on the flip side of that, I thought of something that is interesting because Satan even has a welcoming place. Hell. Anybody wants to go to hell, you, you're free to go. And that's, that's kind of a scary thought, you know, because people we love are destined for that place. And that's why we give it the offering, to make this a welcoming place so that people don't have to go to hell. They can know about the other welcoming offer from Jesus Christ. They can know about the gospel. And I think that's an amazing thing to do is to support this. And it's not always easy. We sacrifice a lot. And pastors sacrifice many long nights. And he probably is going to have a bad back for the rest of his life because of sitting there doing our lessons. But we truly appreciate it. And we appreciate all of your giving at the offering. And we, we, we love having guests. You're more than welcome. You know, have at everything we have. We have Bibles. We have books. They're all free because of the grace from everybody giving. And so thank you very much for always giving at the offering and supporting our pastor and Jesus Christ. Thank you.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. God's guidance helps us avoid mistakes. So Paul's instructions, if you're in the marketplace getting meat to eat, eat. Don't inquire about the meat. If you're at an unbeliever's home getting meat to eat, eat. Don't inquire about the meat. But if you're in a situation where you have been told explicitly that the meat is idle meat, don't eat it. Why? You are knowingly and willingly taking in something that has a demon behind it, and you're giving permission to the weak to do the same, which could ruin them. And what do, what do we mean by that? The pagans, who had just become Christians, don't want them coming into Christianity and thinking that Christianity is just a little nicer version of paganism. It isn't. It's night and day different. You don't want to ruin them. And so a lot of times, as mature and free people, we have to exercise self-restraint for the benefit of others. And that's just that. And any of you who are a parent, you know that. You exercise self-restraint for your kids' benefit. And so, put your phones away. If you know that whipping out your idol-like electronic device at every opportunity is teaching, in fact, permitting your immature kids to do the same, even though you have a right to do it, it's probably better that you become an example of self-restraint to your children. Don't feel like you have to pull that out all the time. I remember when electronic devices were just becoming popular, and I would see, I would be in a really nice restaurant, and I would see a guy who was taking a lady out for dinner, and immediately she takes the phone out. Now, he's about to spend $300 on her, and she's got the phone out. And I'd always quip to my wife. I'd say, you know, uh, that would be a really short relationship. Because, you know, when you go out with somebody, you're, you're, you want to pay attention to them. If you want to pay attention to a thing, then go do that. That's one of the things that's eroding the very fabric of our relationships, is that we are much more interested in things than in people. And what we've lost in the process of becoming so interested in things instead of people is empathy. The genuine ability to see things from somebody else's point of view. And it's, it's just so funny because Facebook is, and Instagram and these, these anti-social media are uh, microcosms of it. Because you see people monologuing back and forth with each other. And all it is is, I'm right, and anything you say is not. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep badgering you until you go away because I'm right. Never is it, here's my, my view of, you, of it, what's yours? But that's an interesting viewpoint. What do you mean by that? There's never any of that. There's always this, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. That's not the basis of building a relationship. That is not communication. It's an interaction, and it's dual monologue. 100% send, 0% receive. That's not a relationship. And so we got to be careful about that. That's our idolatry. I remember when I was raising my boys, and I took away their phones for two weeks. And they were, you know, the whole thought of it, they were upset. And so I said, well, in light of the fact that you didn't buy them, I don't know that you have a vote. <laughs> Well, two weeks later, both of them independently came to me and thanked me for doing it. 
And why? Because there were a couple of things, and you can talk to Zach afterward and find out why he thought so, but the, the, two, the things that they said is, the first thing is, if I wanted to make a phone call, I had to go ask somebody to use their phone, and it was actually fun using a lot of different people's phones. It was actually fun to, to do that for a couple of weeks. And the other thing is, it wasn't distracting me all the time. It wasn't banging at me and bleeding at me all the time. And, and I think we ought to do that with our kids. Just give them two weeks of experiencing what happens when they aren't getting poked at all the time. And when they aren't reading a lot of nonsense. You want to read some stuff? Read the top 100 books of all time. Because that'll be a college education. Reading? What's that? <laughs> Remember when we used to do that? Now it's just YouTube, and I, you know, I'm infected. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to read directions when I buy a product. I just go to YouTube and watch the video. But there's something that's happened to us because we're doing that. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do all of it to bring glory to God. Well, the Lord sprinkles the same instructions all over the Bible. Bring glory to God. Stand up for me in a way that other people will understand how special Christianity is. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's Ephesians 4.1. Here are some places that he sprinkles these instructions all over the, body, uh, all over the Bible. Let's take a tour. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I, Paul, beg you, believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded because of the many mercies of God. And, and when we start, when we get, as we get older and older and older, we learn all the things that God has done for us. We are seriously persuaded about who he is and what he can do. That's why the passion about you can lose your salvation. I know him. He does not think that way. He does not operate that way. It is not God's will for any to perish, but for all to come to a change of mind about Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 If it's not his will for any to perish, then how do people end up in the lake of fire? They choose it. He's not damning us to hell. He says, look, believe and you'll be saved. That takes about a microsecond. Five words, Father, I believe in Christ. Nine words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is that hard? It's not hard. It's so easy. Therefore, I, Paul, beg you, believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded because of the many mercies of God, to present your bodies by choice, not by command, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God the Father, which is your spiritual service, worship. We worship God by presenting ourselves in such a way that we appear to others as a living and holy sacrifice. And that was significant, the living part, because in the Old Testament, everything was rituals and not living uh, testaments to God. But we are a living testament to God. Because of the grace we are given to be saved, we are to respond to God by reflecting Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Act as free men act, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. 
Instead, use it as bond slaves of God. Bond slaves, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, complete service to God. Use it as a bond slave of God would use freedom. With freedom comes responsibility. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, in light of this knowledge that's been presented in Romans 6, 1 to Romans 6, 11, do not keep on letting sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Your body has flesh in it, and the flesh is completely antagonistic to God. It is way more powerful than you. I always laugh when people say, you just, you know, I don't know how you did that weight loss thing. You have to have willpower. I have zero willpower. None. None. I'm just following the instructions. I have no willpower. I want to eat everything on that table back there. I have no willpower. I want to go home and eat both of donuts. I have no willpower. And there's a flesh inside of me that's telling me to want to eat everything on the table. I'm not listening to it. So, don't obey the lust. Romans 6.13 And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who are spiritually alive from among the spiritually dead ones would present themselves. And present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do what God is telling you to do. That's as simple as it gets. He's always right. And we don't believe him, so we go off and do stuff we want to do. And then we find out, you know, he was right. I bet I wouldn't have this big hickey on my head if I had listened to him. Galatians. That's what happened to me as a kid. My mom, I asked my mom if I could go in the yard. She said, yeah, but don't leave the yard. I left the yard and got my head busted down to the white meat. 48 stitches later, thank God it was a plastic surgeon who did the repair back when plastic surgery was just coming along. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love serve one another. Freedom is not license. Will is. And people are always saying, oh, so you as a believer in Christ, you think you can sin anytime you want to and it's okay? Yeah, I do. Well, you think you have a license to sin? I have free will. I can do anything I want. It doesn't make it smart, does it? Stupid. Because every time you do something that is not what God wants you to do, it does not work. And that's the consistent thing that you learn over the years as you get older and older. Every time I did that, God said do A, I did B, and it did not work. It cannot work. It will never work. Your plan, no plan. It will never work. His plan is the plan. And his plan is not confusing. Well, it must be God's will. Read it. It's right here. His will is right here. One place. You don't have to go all over the place looking for it. You just need to find a teacher who's willing to teach you what's in there without interfering with it. I don't need to add anything. I don't need to interpret anything that's in that book. I just need to tell you what's in there and show it to you. That's it. That's what the, these verses are. All the parentheses and stuff. I'm just showing you what it says in the Greek. That's it. Every in, in, in the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. Every expression in Koine Greek has one and only one interpretation. 
There's nothing to interpret. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. You were called to freedom, brethren, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love, serve each other. Freedom is not license. Will is. We have a right. That's dangerous words. That's what you hear all the time on the news. The public has a right to know. The president doesn't tell you 90% of the stuff that's going on in the country. He can't. It would compromise national security. Oh, he's a liar because of that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. If he, he doesn't tell you stuff to protect you, that makes him a liar. I get it. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. From the cross, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus set the standard in his use of freedom. He felt free to save the most despicable among us. A very responsible thing to do. He saved Nero, who used to set Christians on fire in the square. And when they asked Nero, why were you doing that? He said, well, they said they're the light of the world. He saved Hitler. He, he died so that Hitler could be saved. I don't think he was. But he died for him, paid for all his sins. Yeah, it's like that. All stuff he did, we would never do under any circumstance. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Let your conduct give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. 1 Corinthians 10.33, just as I also seek to please all men in all things, not seeking my own advantage, but seeking the advantage of the many, so that they may be saved. Paul's not saying he's a people pleaser here. He's saying he's loving people unconditionally. People don't like it that I'm candid. Okay. All right, then you be indirect. I'm not indirect. The truth offends people who don't want to hear it. Honesty is brutal to people who don't want to hear it. Okay. I'm not going to stop saying it because you're offended by it. Go find a nice pastor <laughs> who will turn church into a concert and take the offering and, and start the Bible verses about 45 minutes into a 55-minute service. Okay. Okay. That's your choice. But you're going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ one day, and I highly recommend that you know who he is before you meet him. And this is a way to get to know him right here. That's what I want to teach you about. How to get to know him. Because that matters. Verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 33, 32 and 33, perfect explanation of unconditional love. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So, conclusion about the three chapters that we've taken about 15 hours to learn. Be imitators of me, Paul, just as I am an imitator of Christ. As a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week slave of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must learn to reflect his thinking in every way. We make mistakes. God covers us. That was all what paying for our sins was all about in, in the most elementary terms. He wanted us to know that it's okay to make mistakes. He covered them. See, if you're a parent, you know what that's like. Your kids are always doing stupid stuff, and you cover for them. 
You want to bail them out of everything dumb that they do. You can't, but you want to. Well, multiply that by a trillion, and that's how our God thinks of us. He does not want us to be hurt. So his commands are simply instructions to keep us from getting hurt. He doesn't want us to be hurt. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. It is written, You believers in Christ shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. He wants us to be like him. Not Christ-like, right, June? But a reflection of Christ. A reflection of his thinking. And when I'm proudest of my sons, it is when they reflect the thinking that I inculcated into them. And when Zachary said, let's go heal some people, that's the way we looked at life. And it's in him. And when it comes out, that makes, that makes me proud because he is a reflection of how I think about people. I care about people and I want them to be their best selves. It's the same thing that the Lord wants. Our conduct should lead to the salvation of others and not to their demise. We live by divine standards. The mature always are called to self-restraint for the benefit of the immature, and that's a lesson that it takes all of us a bit too long to learn. After the debates last week, the top of my head blew off. I was so mad and so disgusted that I couldn't contain it. And so I read a couple Facebook posts, and I went berserk. And everybody that couldn't see what happened in that debate, how all three of those people had lost their mind, all three of them, they're blaming Trump, but it was all three of them. Chris Wallace, I'm a broadcast trained professional. He should have been fired for his performance in that debate. It was pathetic. His dad rolled over in his grave. And I, so I was all over everybody for, for the whole day, and I just couldn't get off it. I was so mad. So I get a call from a person I love and respect, Pastor John Parley. And he said, hey, man, how you doing? said, I'm good. He said, no, you're not. <laughs> he said, what's wrong with you? You seem like you have lost your mind. And I went berserk. And he said, okay, anytime you feel this way, call me. Take all those posts on Facebook down. Take them down. Why? He said, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> Verse 1. Now you did. Now you did just tell me to use what I'm teaching. No, you did. <laughs> wow. That was so good. That was so good. We need each other that way. We need each other that way. That was so good. I was so proud of him. That was amazing. Well, did the Corinthians listen to Paul? Probably not. Maturity takes time. It takes a lot of cycles of time to turn grapes into wine. And I'm sure all of you winos know exactly what I mean. <laughs> but thanks be to God for leading us to maturity and for guiding us to reduce our mistakes over time. We're never going to stop making mistakes. Mistakes is the way we learn. And if we are willing to learn from them. But... Our mistakes go down over time. One of, my, one of my clients said, why are you always right? I said, because I'm 65 years old. 
I've screwed everything up that you can screw up. And just at a point, you just know what the right things are and what the dumb things are. You're 40. I'm 25 years down the road from you. And when, as you get older and older and older, I've noticed you over the last five years, you've gotten a lot more right than you were at 35. And it just takes time to mature. All right, so we close the lesson with the third part of our lessons, which is I don't want anybody who ever comes to Barah Ministries to be confused about what it takes to be saved. And what I want you to know is God wants you. And what he wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. So the closing message of this study is the most important message of the study. We want you to know that God wants you. We can't say it enough times. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, the absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. And whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And that's bad news for you because sinners need a Savior. Well, the good news is this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life, the single most important decision of your life, the one outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. We want you to know that God wants you. As human parents, we are often emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental. We tell our children exactly what we want them to do, expecting that they will do it. Quite often, they do the opposite, and just as often, they ask us for an exception to our request. I know I didn't do exactly what you asked, but please, 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 can I do it my way? Well, often our emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental self allows them to disobey. And by doing this, we teach them to ignore our requests in critical matters. Many people think that God is a similar parent. God tells us exactly what we have to do to be saved, and many don't do it. But they think that in the end, God will be emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental, and he will let them into heaven their own way. Nope. No, he won't. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, he makes it very clear what it takes to get into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. I am the resurrection life, eternal life, the zoe life. That's the Greek word for the eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. There is only one way to get to heaven, and it can all be summed up in one word, Christ. And that's all. Your salvation is a critical matter. And the Lord isn't emotional or arbitrary or sentimental about it. He's crystal clear. In Matthew chapter 7, verse, verse 21, the Lord says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is the will of the Father? It's really simple. What God the Father's will is in the matter of your salvation, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, tells us what is not God's will. It is not God's will for any of you unbelievers to perish in the lake of fire. 
but it is his will that all of you come to a repentance, a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that just makes sense, does it? doesn't it? God the Father sent his son to die for you as the only way for you to be saved, as the only thing he would recognize for you to be saved, and he wants you to do it. And you choose to do it or not to do it. That's your business. What is God's will is really simple too. It's revealed in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And if we ignore God's critical request, there are consequences. John chapter 3, verse 36 says this, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day. There's the key. That's what makes him different from Mohammed. That's what makes him different from Joseph Smith. That's what makes him different from Allah. That's what makes him different from the Pope. That's what makes him different from every one of the pretenders. He was raised from the dead, and he's the only one to this point in history who has been raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. You believe them, or you don't. So if you want to get to heaven, it's probably just best to do what God asks you to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. When we believe, we simply take God's word for it, in the matter of what it takes to be saved. Do it, and do it now. Well, let's close with music. When we pray, and that's what we'll do five minutes after the service today, we'll pray together. We go into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore, let us, believers in Christ, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let us go boldly before the throne of grace, so that we may expect to receive mercy, and so that we may expect to find grace to help in times of need. In the prayer circle each week, we come into the Lord's presence to pray. Father, June Murphy in her song wants to come into your presence and stay. Take it away, June. Salvation has set me free. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah, child. She's going to need a nap after that. <laughs> all right, a doxology of praise to our God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time. Slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And he cares for you is a Greek idiom. And what it means is that God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for opening the ears of the people in this country and of the people all around the world. And I pray that you help them to hear your still small voice that booms loudly through the word of God which is revealed in the Bible. I pray that you cause the circumstance for everyone to hear the gospel message multiple times so that they can respond positively to the invitation you've given to be chosen, to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and to spend all eternity with you and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you continue to show us the compassion that you show us, allowing us to make the mistakes that we make so that we can learn from them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit pours his enabling power into us so that we can share this, this powerful gospel message with everyone we meet, one person at a time. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.